the state of public education is in dire straits in America. It might also be in demonic straits in many ways. I'm not going to sugarcoat this episode. If you need a positive vibe tonight, perhaps skip this. If you want exposure to the truth and how it could affect your family, continue to watch. Yesterday, Christians in Nashville were targeted for their faith by a transgender murderer and maniac. And public education, as well as the federal government, is 100% complicit in making sure your children become confused, wards of the socialist state, or get shot for resisting. We discuss what happened yesterday, and we tell parents what they need to know about the state of public education and the origins of this madness and what the Bible has to say about it concerning the end times. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hatch Live. Good evening, everybody. Good Tuesday evening at 730, where we are going to be doing season six, episode 27 of The Deep End. And I am your humble host, Tim Hatch. It is Tim Hatch Live. If you would hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. It helps the algorithm. It helps spread the word that this channel is worth watching. And if you are here for the first time, by faith, hit the like button because you might just like this content anyway. Every Tuesday night on this channel, we discuss social events, what's going on in the world, and it is a sad time for Christians in America. Not only is our Christian faith and morality mocked and vilified in the pop culture, and not only do we have satanic celebrations in awards, uh, award ceremonies in our culture, but now Christians are literally targets for murder in southern states where you would least expect it. And that brings me to the Deep End News segment. Deep, 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 deep End News. The news you choose if you could choose news. So this is the headline that should be at the top of every news outlet. Unfortunately, it's only at the top of the New York Post. Transgender killer targets Christian school, leaves a manifesto behind. Six dead, including three young kids. A very sad day at Covenant Christian School in Nashville, Tennessee. An elementary school, nonetheless. The shooter, a complete maniac. But what the media is having a hard time dealing with is that we all know as Christians why this happened. But the guns are going to get blamed. The laws are going to get blamed. The Second Amendment is going to get blamed. Who knows? Even Christians are going to get blamed. When in reality, this was a targeted attack on the Christian faith. Let me give you some more details just so you're aware of what happened. 28-year-old Audrey Hale, a transgender man, was shot dead by police during the Monday morning attack, leaving behind drawn out maps of the Covenant School detailing how it was all going to take place. Uh, this is according to Nashville Police Chief John Drake. There's uh, Audrey Hale. He, him pronouns. This is a girl pretending to be a man, I'm supposing, I guess. And this is nothing new. This is the trend, ladies and gentlemen. School shootings have been a thing since 1996, Jonesboro, Arkansas, then later Littleton, Colorado, 1997, I believe that was, or 98. They are tragic, they are horrific, and they are not always led by transgender students, but the trend is in their favor for being the suspect in these tragedies, or at least them identifying as such to avoid further prosecution or avoid hate crime prosecutions in these tragedies. In case you're not keeping track, let me keep you abreast of the latest shootings. The Colorado Springs shooter identified as non-binary. The Denver shooter chose to identify as trans to avoid further hate crime prosecution. The Aberdeen, Maryland shooter in November 2022 identified as trans, and now the Nashville shooter has identified as transgender. The further deterioration of the West is progressing along nicely. Now, the argument against me right now is, yeah, well, what about all those other 3,000 school shooters who weren't trans? And they are awful, and no one is making an excuse for them, and they should be absolutely, um, you know, hated and rejected and, you know, not, not in any way uh, atoned for. But, but the trend is troubling as... The indoctrination of our students has everything to do with what is happening. And the media and the federal government are complicit in this atrocity. And this is just going to get worse, right? This is going to get worse because our culture has named an enemy that everybody's supposed to hate. White people, white Christian people, white heterosexual, cisgender, their term, not mine, cisgender uh, Christian people rooted in British colonialism and outdated bigotry and hatefulness. These people are the enemy. And now kids are learning that if they align themselves accordingly, they can escape further prosecution or maybe even be considered victims themselves as they commit the most astounding atrocities in American history. 
So evidently this shooter left behind plenty of notice on Instagram to a high school friend saying that they were planning to die today. Uh, I thought if we affirm transgenders, by the way, I thought if we affirm transgenders enough, they'd be happy and they wouldn't be so angry. Evidently, all the affirmation of Hollywood, the media, the culture, the, the federal government, and possibly even uh, local government officials is not enough to assuage the anger that is built up in the heart of these children. They are lost, they are undone, and they are living in darkness, and their actions are speaking as loud as the nonsense of these words. Now, how does the news choose to report this inconvenient narrative? It's an inconvenient narrative because it breaks all the rules. White, heterosexual, Christian, cisgender man, bad, transgender, young person, LGBT, plus QIA, ampersand, hashtag, LMNOP person, good. The LGBT people are saints, and those evil, vile, bigoted Christians are devils. And this is a very inconvenient narrative for those very reasons. So the news media went to work, and without a single mention of the words Christian, transgender, or targeted, they whitewashed, if I could use that term, this event and just called it basically a shooting, a tragedy, and a sad event, unfortunate things. And they were absolutely certain to correct their earlier reporting to make sure that they properly identified the gender or the assumed gender of the transgender woman. This is what they worry about on their Twitter pages and on their outlets. They worry about getting the gender of the murdering maniac wrong. This is American news media 2023. CNN doing work as well to avoid the obvious narrative with the headline, police search for motive in calculated and planned mass shooting that killed six at Nashville Christian School. Yeah, keep searching CNN. You may actually stumble upon facts at some point, only you'll probably bury them later. So there's plenty of people online that are <laughs> voicing their approval of their actions. Consider these two tweets from Kat Amarako, I don't condone Audrey Hale's actions. Though I understand their outrage against an intolerant state that brainwashes children through religious indoctrination, the reality is this human is uh, still identified as that child attending that school and carried that pain into adulthood. So I don't approve of murdering people, but it's understandable. And then this is a uh, tweet responding to uh, 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 the latest tweet from the school's Twitter page where the tragedy happened, Josh Max posts, school has been traumatizing LGBTQ kids until they go insane and then they blame the victim, not sorry. So, you know, that doesn't get <laughs> expunged from Twitter. The, those people are still alive and active on social media and posting the most vile, hateful rhetoric imaginable. But let us pause for a moment as we consider this tragedy about the real victims, okay? We have the photos of some of them. These are um, the school shooting victims. Catherine Kuntz there on the left, she is the head of the school. Uh, this is also Mike Hill in the middle. He was the school custodian. And then sadly, of course, three children. And this is Haley um, Scruggs. She was nine and she is the daughter of the pastor of the church that runs the school. That is Pastor Chad Scruggs and his wife Jada. They lost this precious child of theirs in this hideous tragedy. And I don't wanna to spend too much time here because literally I wept today as I considered their losses. Imagine leading a school in your church to raise your children in a way that shapes them to do good in the world and then the world system enables their mental disorder and then it comes to kill your child because that's exactly what happened. Horrifically sad day, and we pray God's peace over the Scruggs family. Again, Pastor Scruggs is the lead pastor of the church that owns the school where the tragedy happened. This is America 2023. This is in large part due to the never-ending narrative that LGBTQIA people are traumatized by Christian faith and therefore have a right to be angry and have a right to arm themselves now, and we're gonna to get to that in just a moment, and a right to viciously attack those who do not, quote unquote, affirm their insanity. Now, I'm gonna share a couple things that are gonna be disturbing today, and I'm not gonna hide this stuff. I don't wanna hide this stuff, we need to see it. If you've got young kids in the room, you might wanna get them out for a moment, check this content before you play it for them. I wanna give you fair warning. For instance, first, the police department in Nashville actually released the body cam footage of the brave officers who took on the suspect and eventually neutralized them. Uh, this is graphic footage. Again, just be prepared. I just want you to watch. Right, right, right.
push it LPVO. Push it LPVO. Go right. Move, move. Watch out, watch out. Move. Stop moving. Stop moving. Watch left, watch left. Suspect down, suspect down. Okay, why do I share that? Why do I share that content? Because these are the brave men and women in blue that were vilified just three years ago during the Summer of Love Black Lives Matter riots. And I want to say something as clear as I possibly can. If you are still in the police, defund the police movement or ideology, I don't want to know you. And if you go to my church, I don't want you to come. These people risk their lives to make sure that tragedies get stopped. These people risk their lives daily to protect people. These people put their lives on the line to make sure that you can live your lives. Thankfully to these police officers, no more people than six tragically died. The tragedy should have been avoided altogether. But like I said, the narrative of our culture is enabling this behavior. And the trend is arrowed, it is pointed in more of these types of events happening. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., Joe Biden made an appearance before the press to talk about the tragedy. And here's how President Biden, our leader, our, our I don't know, leader of the free world, uh, representative of our country, decided to approach the subject before the fawning press moments after the shooting was reported to him. Watch. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. Uh, yeah, that's our president. School shooting to be addressed at a Christian school. No big deal for left-wing Joe. No big deal for the progressive puppet uh, that is sitting in the White House. Let me just say something about Joe Biden here. Joe Biden represents, in this simple clip, exactly what the progressive secularists want in a man. This is the archetype of the modern day man as a result of fourth wave feminism. He's old, he's doddering, he's unserious. He identifies himself by his wife's title. He's incognizant, foolish, childish, devoid of wisdom, brainless, purposeless, useless, walking dead, and totally oblivious to the moment. The secular progressives who run your public schools cheer this kind of man. They love this kind of man. We as Christians must categorically reject this kind of man because he isn't a man. He's a corrupt lifelong politician in bed, in bed with foreign nationalists and subservient to a dark, wicked, godless underworld bent on destroying your family and making a mockery of a once proud country. Joe Biden makes King Ahab look like King David. He makes Nebuchadnezzar look like JFK. He's a beaten down, submissive, weak-willed, 82-year-old toddler who is coddled into the presidency by a wickedly elite media who will do whatever it takes to elect whoever it requires to make sacrosanct the secular sacrament of abortion. He's why I refuse to say, God bless America. America does not deserve to be blessed anymore. America does not handle blessings well. America has deteriorated from the country it used to be to a hateful, divided culture propagated by people on Joe Biden's side who desperately want to redefine human existence from the very basics of foundational humanity, such as marriage, biology, sexuality, and human dignity. And if we had any more blessings as a country, it would simply erode into further degeneracy. So no, no more God bless America because this is satanic, demonic, and exactly what America is getting right now is probably what America deserves for how it's treating men and what it wants men to become and more importantly, what it wants children to become. Also appearing all over Twitter recently was the call for the Transnational Day of Vengeance. Yes, this is all over Twitter, April 1st. So I guess this shooter got a head start on that. Uh, you can find these posts everywhere. They're still up. Antifa and other organizations calling for Trans Day of Violence. This is like that movie, The Purge. And they have, they have uh, immunity from prosecution. At the same time, and perhaps poorly timed news, Disney, who is seeking to re-educate your children's values according to this LGBTQIA nonsense, is hosting a world LGBTQ summit 
and they just announced it. In September, they're going to host a summit by Out and Equal, described as the largest LGBTQ plus conference in the world. The conference scheduled for September 11th to 14th at Walt Disney World will host booths from the CIA, the State Department, as well as companies such as Amazon, Uber, Apple, McDonald's, Walmart, John Deere, Boeing, Hilton, and Cracker Barrel. What does John Deere and tractors have to do with LGBTQ? Because the whole culture is now subservient to this ideology. The whole culture has been held captive to the effect that Disney and Cracker Barrel are in league with this cultural insanity. This is where we are. This is our world. And I hate to say it. I think it's only going to get worse. But this is the tragedy. This is the news. And now I want to talk to you about how we get here. And I want to go all the way back to the 1800s because on this channel, I don't just like to talk about the bad things in the world that are happening. I like to show you the roots of the bad things that are happening. And that brings me to a segment I like to call What Every Parent Needs to Know. So what every parent needs to know about the Department of Education. The Department of Ed Education was founded May 4th, 1980 by Jimmy Carter to coalesce the education of our young through a centralized government bureaucracy to make sure that all kids everywhere, whether they're on the East Coast or West Coast or in middle America, identify according to the ideology as set forth by a very select few people who are considered experts in Washington, D.C. And that brings me to news about the Parents' Bill of Rights Act. Now, the Parents' Bill of Rights Act was um, passed by the Republican-led House and is not even going to be brought to a vote by the Democrat-led Senate. And Joe Biden has promised to veto any bill that informs parents of what's being taught in public schools. Let that sink in. This is news out of NBC. House passes the GOP's Parents' Bill of Rights bill measure opposed by Biden. The article states the Parents' Bill of Rights Act would require public school districts to publicly post information about curricula for students, including providing parents with a list of books and reading materials available in school libraries. What's wrong with that, by the way? What's wrong? What, what are they trying to hide? Why are they on in the business of hiding information about what they're teaching our kids and, school, and the books that they're giving our kids uh, from parents? Just kind of interesting. Uh, the congressional action comes as some elected, uh, or sorry, let me skip down here. Schools would have to publicly disclose their budgets as well as budgets of each school, including revenues and expenditures. They would also have to notify parents of violent activity occurring at schools or events sponsored by schools. And in an effort to protect students' privacy, the bill would will, will require parents to consent before any medical exams, including mental health or substance use disorder screenings, take place at school. So... Seems to me they want to give parents, I don't know, understanding of what's being taught, what's being done to their children in these institutions we call public schools. And the Democrats want nothing to do with it. Congressional Democrats have voiced opposition to the bill. And, and the White House has also rejected it in a statement of administrative pol administration policy. Quote, the administration does not support H.R. 5 in its current form because the bill does not actually help parents support their children at school. No, that's right. It actually hides what the schools want to do from the parents who are raising them. Uh, this is because of a federal bureaucracy called the Department of Education. And we need, to not, we need to talk about how did we get here? How did we get to the point where the government is undermining the rules and the morality and the lifestyles of parents? Well, any discussion of the divisions between parent and child in public education has to begin with a person named John Dewey. John Dewey is the founding member of several anti-God organizations in our culture. He's the founder of the Philosophical Movement of Pragmatism in Education, and he was a pioneer of functional psychology. He was born in Burlington, Vermont in the 1800s, and he spent three years teaching in public schools when he decided it wasn't for him. So he set out to redefine it. Eventually, he started teaching philosophy and psychology at the University of Michigan in 1884. His interests moved him to the University of Chicago and eventually Columbia University, the epicenter of public educational institution, institutionalism, where he spent the majority of his career reshaping American education by becoming the president of the American Psychological Association from 1904 to 1930 and a professor of philosophy at Columbia's teacher, University's Teachers College. In other words, he's the root of the philosophy that has become today's public schools. So the question is, what did he believe? Now, 
fundamentally, what you have to understand is that Dewey kept reorienting education away from acquiring knowledge, which is what you would think education was about, toward a more learning how to live the student's truth. Yes, that's the trend he wanted. He wanted to move away from two plus two equals four to two plus two equals four is racist, if you happen to have a lived experience that disagrees with that. So a couple of facts I want to share with you on this episode. He wrote, quote, education is a regulation of the process of coming to share in the social consciousness and that the adjustment of the individual activity on the basis of the social consciousness is the only sure method of social reconstruction. In other words, let's use education as a means to reconstruct civilization into one big social consciousness. Uh, the preform of a socialist system, if you will. Now, for the rest of his ideology, he's the co-founder of the ACLU and the NAACP, an evolutionist, a humanist, a communist, an atheist, and a fierce enemy of Christianity. According to David Valencourt, Dewey rejected the classics. Uh, he rejected any emphasis on rhetoric and logic or rote memorization. Instead, the pragmatist Dewey valued experience over facts, logic or debate. In other words, your lived experience is your greatest truth. You see, this is how you get, well, they're just living their truth. I, I'm just following my truth. I'm just finding my truth. Uh, further, Dewey believed that the role of teachers should change. Rather than teach a body of knowledge, the teacher should help the child learn by experience and learn alongside the child. So there's really no authority. You're just learning along with the child. This was the great contrast to the previous approach where teachers were the experts. So teachers were undermined through Dewey's approach. Just making sure you're keeping track of these facts and how this man reformed, quote unquote, uh, education as we know it. Facts, logic, and truth were relevant to Dewey's philosophy of education. He said, quote, it is one of the great mistakes of education to make reading and writing constitute the bulk of schoolwork the first two years. Um, just so you know, by the way, uh, up until the 1830s, no schools in the U.S. were supported by the state or state controlled. They were local. They were parent-teacher enterprises. They were supported without taxes. And they took care of all the children remarkably well. That is how it was. Then the government got involved and Dewey recreated it. When you read more in his philosophy of education, you find today's mantra of experience of reality throughout it. Let's share a couple more quotes and a couple more uh, interesting insights from Dewey's philosophy of education. He said, quote, we must take our stand with the child and our departure from him. It is he. It is he and not the subject matter which determines both the quality and quantity of learning. So the students in charge, the students are in charge. Authority is irrelevant in the educational system. We will talk about how demonic this is in just a moment. He says the thing needful is improvement of education, not simply by turning out teachers who can do better, th better the things that are not necessary to do, but rather by changing the conception of what constitutes education. In other words, change the whole system through changing and listening to and following the lead of the child. Uh, he writes in a book called The School and the Society, or I'm sorry, a, a book written in 1976 called The School and Society, uh, talks about Dewey's philosophy saying, rather than preparing citizens for ethical participation in society, schools should prepare students for docile compliance with authoritarian work and political structures, aka COVID lockdowns, <coughs> discourage the pursuit of individual and community communal in inquiry and perceive higher learning as a monopoly of the institution of education. That means that the educational system is a de facto God, and you just you are just subservient to it if you are educated in it. He says uh, the school itself is a social institution through which social reform can and should take place. So what you have here in John Dewey is a man who decided to leverage public education to create a socialistic structure that would ultimately become what we are seeing today. You must align yourself to the cultural narrative. You must fit in with the cultural influencers and we will radicalize you accordingly through public funded education. Uh, not surprisingly, Dewey was influenced by the French romantic writer Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who we should also do a deep endopedia upon uh, on someday soon. The original narcissist and artist who sent humanity adrift into its own self-obsession. Uh, this piece by the Institute of World Politics, The Tragedy of American Education, The Role of John Dewey, says this very well. It says, uh, in his views, our purpose for education is not the communication of knowledge, but the sharing of social experience so that the child shall become integrated into the democ democratic community. He believed that morals were essentially social and pragmatic and that any attempt to subordinate education to transcendent values or dogmas ought to be resisted. To such a nefarious degree was Dewey's standard for the secularization of education that he can be held responsible for the establishment of the mass mind, or as he puts it, 
the pooled intelligence of the democratic mind. This is communism and socialism masked as bureaucratic education in the American system. I, I like to call it ideology through the bureaucracy. In other words, we're going to leverage public dollars. Your tax-funded schools are going to re-educate your, your kids according to the narrative of ideology as purported by the state. It's creating a family divide. It's letting the state influence your children demonstrably. It is taking parents' hands and investment of their children right out of the equation. And all of this is paid for with your tax dollars. And they believe that your children will be safer as a result of these actions. Out of the horse's mouth, uh, Congresswoman AOC, in fighting against the Parents' Bill of Rights, claims that schools, I kid you not, I can't even say this without laughing, schools are the only safe place for kids. Watch. One of the highest rates of youth homelessness is in, in the LGBT community, from parents who want to kick their children out in, in households that may be unstable or abusive. For so many children of abuse, school is their only safe place to be. Uh, okay, so school is the only safe place to be. And ironically, she is making this speech on March 23rd, just a few days before the uh, transgender mass shooting at a Christian school. These are what our politicians paid for with our tax dollars are arguing for. Safe places in, safe places in schools for your kids so that they can really indoctrinate your kids into further confusion and experience-led education. Not logic-led. Experience-led. Don't miss that moniker. Experience-led education is where kids get the idea that this is my truth. This is my lived experience. There is no ultimate truth. There is no authority to be lived by. Even my bi biology is subservient to how I feel inside. This is what they're arguing for. This is what they want. They want to further propagate this nonsense into our children. Are kids safe in schools? Well, the Washington Post suggests no. The Washington Post says more teachers are having sex with their students than ever before. Last year, according to this article, 281 school employees, 36% of those accused or convicted of an inappropriate relationship with a student were reported to have used social media to start or continue those relationships. According to an organization called Sesame, or Stop Educator Sexual Abuse, Misconduct, and Exploitation, uh, it describes itself as a voice for the prevention of abuse by educators and other school employees. It says of, out of their study of children in eighth through 11th grade, about 3.5 million students, nearly 7% surveyed, report had, having had physical sexual contact from an adult, most often a teacher or coach. And the statistic increases to about 4.5 million children or 10% when it takes other types of sexual misconduct into consideration, such as being shown pornography or being subjected to sexual explicit language or exhibitionism. According to a Politico article, sexual violence is on the rise dramatically in schools, Department of Education data shows. The findings are 15,000 total incidents of sexual violence in 2018, a 55% increase from 2016. The vast majority of those assaults were sexual in nature. Very, very safe, yes. That's our public school system. That's what our politicians are arguing to put our kids into instead of homes with moms and dads. Now, I am not unaware that many homes are unsafe for children. And I understand child abuse is rampant. And it actually was made worse through the COVID lockdowns where many kids were further abused by abusive parents. But we don't fix one problem by putting the kids into a different fire. And the schools have lost their way. There's no moral center. There's no moral foundation. And they're leading our kids into obliteration, self-obliteration, because they're following the kids' lived experience, a.k.a. John Dewey, instead of logic and meaning and uh, ultimate truth, right? There's got to be a foundation to life that is beyond us, or we are just our, the subjects of our own imaginations, and, and this is going to get worse and worse as we see happening on a regular basis. I bring you news out of Texas where a self-described woke parent pulled their daughter from a middle school after the 13-year-old child was invited to participate in a, uh, sex, a seducing hooker game. A seducing hooker game. <laughs> the game took place at Kip Poder Academy in San Antonio. The game was Beer Hooker Hunter. <sighs> 
a kind of adult version of rock, paper, scissors. According to a story in the New York Post, uh, the, the, the parent said, my daughter was so grossed out and embarrassed, she said the boys and the teacher were laughing. Another little girl in the class had been sexually assaulted, so the experience was especially cringe for her. Uh, Gruber, the parent, pulled her daughter out of the school a week later, but it was determined but was determined to lodge a protest with the school administrators, laborious and a frustrating process, she said. I feel like I've been had. I wanted my children to go to a school where they love diversity and I trusted them, but I didn't realize that it would involve sexual diversity and kids being sexualized. So they sexualize your kids and here's the, here's the kicker. If you don't agree with it, they are planning to take your kids from you. Yes, John Dewey's dream is coming to fruition. Uh, news out of California, a state-sanctioned kidnapping law is going into effect. The California bill, this California bill would give therapists the power to take children over 12 from their parents without accusation, evidence, or trial. A, a California Democrat has proposed a bill that would allow a mental health professional to place a child as young as 12 in a residential shelter facility without parental knowledge or consent and without, being, without there being any prior allegations of incest or child abuse. Tell me they're not coming between you and your children. Now, according to Erin Friday, she's the leader of Our Duty, an organization against this bill. She said that the bill would give counselors unfettered control over children age 12 and above. In a letter to the state assembly, Friday gives the example of a hypothetical sixth grader who informs her school counselor that she is a trans boy. Friday argues that if AB 65, that's the bill, were to be enacted, the child may not come home from school that day and could instead be sent to an LGBTQ housing facility. The parents will have no idea what happened to their child, writes Friday. Imagine their fear and anxiety. These parents are criminalized without accusation, evidence, or trial. So this is happening on the West Coast. And it's also happening on the East Coast. And it's also happening in middle America. Uh, the state of Minnesota right now is advancing a bill through its legislature that uh, say it would strip custody from non-consenting parents. And in other words, if your parent does not consent to your sex change or sexual identity, then you could be stripped from their home. Literally state-sponsored kidnapping. This is Bill HF 146. It also allows for hormone treatments and puberty blockers to be sold to children from other non-supportive states who travel to Minnesota to purchase the drugs. So Minnesota wants to traffic in puberty blockers for minors from states where they have outlawed puberty blockers for minors. This is middle America. This is what's happening through the educational system of our country. The Department of Education has blood on its hands. And what you have really is this highly sexualized ward of the state generation, the fulfillment again of John Dewey's socialistic ideal. How does this spread through all states? We have to answer that by giving you more information on the federal bureaucracy called the Department of Education, the DOE. Now, this is the web page for the Department of Education. And notice what's first on their website, student loans. Yeah, they want your kids not only re-educated in secondary schools, they want them re-educated in post-secondary schools through high-interest loans subsidized by the government. So you head over to the Department of Education and they sell your child on a student loan where they can saddle your daughter or son with a debt to obtain an education they, they may not need but still has to pay for so the president can, pay, can campaign on possible promises to eliminate that debt, which eventually, by the way, in June, I know the Supreme Court is going to strike down Joe Biden's promise to eliminate any debt whatsoever because it is not constitutionally required. So a couple of facts about educational debt. By the way, in our government, and let me just share them with you on the screen. The federal government now originates and services nearly 90% of all student loans. It was not always like that. Uh, college tuition at public universities has increased 213% since 1987. Americans hold 1.6 trillion in outstanding student loan debt and 44% of college graduates are in jobs that do not require a college degree. So they're selling you on something that you don't need to buy, that you will ultimately need to pay for, and then follow a president who will promise to pay it for you and ultimately cannot. So <laughs> this is what college has become, a cash cow for the federal government. By the way, why does the federal government uh, originate in service nearly 90% of the loans? Because institutional lenders don't want any part of this. They see the risks and the federal government doesn't care about risks. They just care about indoctrination and they'll take the risks if that's what it requires to take your children from you to take your children from your ideology and your Christian values. And you, if you are not aware of this or uh, abreast of this information, 
you will send your child to a funded, a publicly funded institution where your child will get loaded with debt to be indoctrinated to hate your Christian values, to hate your family values, and come back home from college on Thanksgiving weekend and call you racist and sexist and outdated and on the wrong side of history. That is what you are paying for. That is all coming down from Washington, D.C. One centralized indoctrination department that causes kids both on both coasts and in middle America to question their, their gender identity and hate Christianity. By the way, an election is coming up. Please vote for anyone who wants to defund the Department of Education. Now, that's an institution that is totally useless. It is useless because it has done no good for students' academic achievement. Uh, an article from the Heritage Foundation finds that student test scores are unchanged after decades of federal intervention in education. Moreover, the achievement gap between high and low performing American students has only widened since the federal government has gotten involved in public education. So they don't improve students' performances. Uh, according to this article, just one-third of students in the fourth and eighth grades reach proficiency in math and reading nationally on the National Assessment of Education Progress. By the way, this article is from 2019. So that's before the COVID-19 lockdowns further exacerbated the problem of learning in our public school systems. It's actually gone astronomically wrong in the, in, in, in the, in the bad direction. So thank you, John Dewey for a homogenized, godless, illogical, student-led, student-experience-led educational system. It's failing our kids, it's dividing families, it's undermining parents, and it's reshaping culture and causing harm to our children. Now you also have, in middle America, fifth graders in Indiana getting a day off from school, administrators and teachers letting the kids just walk out, fifth graders, mind you, walk out of the building in the middle of the day to do what? To march for gay and trans rights, of course. This is not a joke. Indianapolis, a school there, uh, the Center for Inquiry School, 27, held a walkout Monday afternoon to protest Indiana's Don't Say Gay bill, which would restrict how teachers are able to discuss sexual orientation or gender identity in the classroom. Fifth graders, by the way, fifth graders. The students marched, chanted, and held signs with slogans like, we're here and we're queer. That's from the Stonewall riots. For a little under an hour at the Martin Luther King Jr. Park on the north side of Indianapolis. The student-led walkout was organized by three fifth grade students who said they wanted to take action after hearing about how House Bill 1608 could impact their school. Uh, I have a fifth grader. I can't imagine his school allowing this to happen or him ever thinking that he should be advocating for this. Let's be honest. Those 11-year-olds didn't come up with this plan. Their weird, wacko parents instigated this plan. They are the ones. They are the masterminds behind this insanity. I give you further proof that the parents are to blame for the children's falling for this indoctrination. This is a mom in Canada who was proud of her 8-year-old son becoming a drag queen and celebrated by the world and her local news media. In fact, not just local news media, international news media. Imagine you're a parent. And you don't monitor what your kids are learning or watching at, learning at school or watching at home on TV. And they turn on RuPaul's Drag Race. And before you know it, they're hooked on the drag lifestyle. This woman in Canada wins the award for worst parent ever. And they were interviewed on uh, some London program this morning. And here's what they had to say. Well done. You. So listen, um, Lactesh, I've got to ask you, where, where did this all begin? They're talking to you, buddy. Hmm? When did this all begin? When this, when this, when did this all begin? Um, when I was about seven. Well, I was actually eight. But no, because because something we'll like say I was seven, and I said, <laughs> it's something that um, it's something that especially for uh, for a, a mum, uh, you say that uh, I mean, you have a very open, accepting family, uh, you know, kids are allowed to express themselves. So what, what did you spot as a mum, first of all? What did I think as a mum? I thought it was the most fantastic thing um, because drag uh, in general is just super creative. You know, we have, you have music, there's lip syncing, there's dance, there's makeup, there's costumes. When I started watching RuPaul's Drag Race, um, I was like, oh, this is an actual form of art, and it's something that actually happens in the world, and I need to do this right this second. And that's pretty much how drag started in our household. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much how drag started in our household. 
watching RuPaul's Drag Race as a seven-year-old and then deciding, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to be sexualized in front of perverts. And I want my mom there backing me up. Uh, I have to keep moving the goalposts for worst possible parent in the world. We have a new winner. It seems like every episode we have a new winner for worst possible parent. This person is now the worst possible parent. Sexualizing the kids, friends, is what it's all about. Again, I give you now fair warning about what you're going to see. I only show this stuff because I get hammered on Twitter for suggesting that this is a problem. I get hammered on Twitter for saying it's not about sexualization. And, and what about the Catholic Church? That's, that's always what they say on Twitter when you talk about it. When you bring up the LGBTQ movement trying to sexualize children, it's always, well, what about the Catholic Church? Well, the Catholic Church was excoriated, excoriated for their actions uh, in sexual abuse, and they've paid enormous amounts of money to their victims, and they still have a lot of work to do. I will not <laughs> deny that. And many Protestant churches as well have hurt children, but no one is fighting for the right to continue that. No one is putting a parent of one of these children forward saying, well, it was the best thing that ever happened to my child. They were sexualized by a local priest, and I'm actually all for it. After all, priests are highly creative, and it was inspirational, and there's an, and there's an organization titled RuPaul's Priest Race, and, and I really loved it, and my kid loved it, so who am I to stop them? It's their lived experience. No, nobody's doing that with Catholic priests, and nobody's doing that with pastors, and nobody's doing that with guns, okay? Every, they are doing that, however, with sexualization through the LGBT movement. Now, again, fair warning, what you're about to see is disgusting. This same child, um, who I think is called Leticiata or whatever, I don't know, that's her drag name, uh, photographed with a drag queen at a program called, uh, <laughs> these names, Dragutante. And uh, this is a piece over at redstate.com. Mother has 10-year-old drag queen son photographed with a naked man. And if you can see there in the image, there is a naked man with a 10-year-old boy posing sexually. And all he has is a piece of tape over his genitalia. Why do I put this up on the screen? I know this is very offensive. It's disgusting. Because this is what's happening. And, you know, this is the surface. This is what's seeping through. With every movement of harm to children, you have to understand that you're only ever going to see the surface. If that what if that's what slips through, like that was actually um, a photograph that was part of a uh, an expose in um, Huck magazine on this child drag queen, and this was one of the shots that wasn't used in the feature. So somebody actually found the shot and put, posted it to social media, uh, and it was confirmed. But this is, this is what's beneath the surface now. We're, we're, we're seeing what they're putting on these children. Sexualizing the kids is happening. And if you question it, you're a bigot. And what about the Catholic Church? That's, that's their argument. And so I have more proof. This is uh, a, a child being interviewed by a drag queen on a stage at a nightclub uh, filled with strangers that show no end to their depravity. Watch. Listen, your Aunt Bianca's gonna get you a good lace front. Yeah, that's that's not sexualizing kids. No, no, don't be a bigot. It's not sexualizing them. Thankfully, there are some people in some segments of society that are willing to voice sanity in the most insane place. Uh, I'm talking about female UFC fighter Holly Holm, who took to her recent victory speech as a chance to bring awareness to this filth, and I give her great credit for this. Watch. sexualization of our children right now and we need to protect them whatever that may be let's protect the children please do anything we can to help congratulations on a sensational victory ladies and gentlemen holly the preacher's daughter home uh good for holly home calling attention to something that most preachers and most american pulpits will not call attention to where will all of this end there's a good chance and I said this was going to be a somber night. There's a good chance that it won't. There's a good chance that this is all a harbinger for the ultimate end of the world. There's, there's no uncharted region of the world to move to. There's, there's no Mayflower to board, friend. There's no place to go to escape the indoctrination of the religiously intolerant. And by that religiously term, I mean the sexually religious. 
So this could be culminating in the end times. And I want to give you some deep end thoughts about all this. And my deep end thoughts begin with this very simple idea. The mystery of lawlessness is in full swing. I said it was a simple idea. I have to unpack it. The New Testament is renowned with using the term mystery. There's a lot of mysteries in the New Testament. The term mystery, mysterion in the Greek, it usually, it's, it's a term that refers to things that the gods in, in the ancient Greek world, things that the gods let their followers in on. Their, their followers knew these things that were, that were heavenly realities that, that mortals would find out about. So Paul picks up on that term from the Greek world and he uses it to describe how God through Christ Jesus has now made known some things that were previously hidden in the Old Covenant or in the Old Testament. So things like the suffering servant of Isaiah, the mystery that the Messiah would not come and politically dominate, but would come and die for our sins. That's one mystery of the New Testament that is revealed in Christ Jesus. The mystery that Jew and Gentile would become one new body. The mystery that all nations would come to God through the man Christ Jesus is also another mystery. The mystery of the gospel, right? The mystery of the church. These, these are all over the New Testament, but there is one that is in particular note for me today on the deep end, and that is the mystery of lawlessness. That is that there is an undercurrent of lawlessness in the Old Testament that would continue to work in the New Covenant, and it would work this way. It would undermine authorities that were in place by God. Look at the term, lawlessness. Well, who makes laws? Authorities. So if you're going to have lawlessness, you have to undermine the authorities that put those laws in place. So what are the authorities in place by God that this mystery will continue to attack and unravel? Well, first, there's the authority of Scripture, Genesis 1, 2 Timothy 3, God's Word. God's Word is the ultimate authority. That's how the whole story begins. By the way, that's how you get every other authority through God's Word. Well, if you read Genesis 1, God said, God said, God said, and things happen. That is authority. God's Word is in authority. Then God's Word creates man. God, God's Word creates authority in family. That's the second level of authority. So in Genesis 2, God creates a man. He gives him the law. He gives him guardianship over the garden. He's supposed to keep and tend it. Then he gives him a wife to help that, help him keep and tend the garden. First Corinthians picks this up. He calls man the head of the wife. There's authority. By the way, ladies, some of you have a problem with male authority in the home. And it's not about him dominating you. It's about him taking responsibility for you. It's about him taking ownership of the family and providing for the family and protecting the family and making sure that the family is secure. That's his authority authority. And you need to respect that. You need to support that and stop undermining it because it will only cost you. But then there's also parental authority in the home. Children, obey your parents. This is right. This pleases the Lord. The Old Testament promised a long life if you honored your parents because parental authority, listen, is God's idea in the home. Third level of authority is the state. Now you get a state in Genesis chapter nine after the flood. That's where God institutes the laws of the state eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and that is to hedge in the lawlessness inclinations of men's hearts. Romans 13 uh, exalts the state's authority. Uh, by the way, the state is not a welfare program. It is for social protection. It is to punish the evildoer. Read Romans 13 when you get a chance and you will see that the state is not there to promise you the good life. The state is there to protect you so that you can pursue the life that you want that will honor God in the family that God gives you under the authority of the word of God that is for you. And then finally, the church. The church acts as a social order institution and it disseminates instruction in the ultimate authority of scripture. So if the church is undermined, scriptural authority is undermined, the family is therefore undermined, and all you have left is the state. Now here's what you have going on right now in our culture, and it's imperative that you get this. The devil traffics in insubordination. That's his game. We've talked about this ad nauseum. We have always said that division and insubordination is the devil's game. If you are insubordinate to your authority, you are playing the devil's game. So if you want to destroy God's creation, you have to destroy or devalue or unravel authority. So it goes like this. Scripture is questioned. Genesis chapter 3, the first words of the devil. Did God really say? He twists scripture. He questions scripture. He causes the woman to doubt scripture and then ultimately reject scripture. And now in the public school system, scripture has been removed through the efforts of Madeline Murray O'Hare and John Dewey. And then family is redefined. 
Night family redefined, nullified. We have to make fathers unnecessary or their cultural bywords or they're irrelevant to a child's life. And so you have in vitro fertilization, which empowers single motherhood, which some mothers will raise sons to believe that they don't need a father. And what does that say to a young boy who will be one day a father? You're not necessary. You're just a byword and a joke. And you don't know anything. Father doesn't know best. He's an idiot. He's a moron. He's a fruit of the patriarchy and he must be rejected. Then the state is undermined when punishments are removed and loose district attorneys are put in place systematically to undermine the law and order of a city and then further unravel the social structure and cause people to worry and, and stress over things that the state should be doing but is no longer doing. And finally, the church. The church is marginalized, pushed to the edges of society and either corrupted by marrying the spirit of the age, as is happening with a lot of mainline uh, church institutions now, or being fully opposed to it and therefore blocked, silenced, uh, shadow banned, removed from Twitter, YouTube, you name it. This is lawlessness at work. Leading to what? Leading to a place we call the last days, the last of the last days. Now, technically, yes, we have been in the last days since Jesus rose again, but the last days culminate in the great tribulation. And Paul the apostle in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 outlines what we're to expect just before the great tribulation starts to happen in the world. And let's go there because I want you to show you, I want to roadmap this for you biblically so that you understand where we are in our age, in the signs of the last days. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion occurs first. So there, there has to be a rebellion. There has to be an undermining of authority. There has to be lawlessness in the undercurrent, the mystery of lawlessness. And then he says, Then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself over every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. That would be the dictator beast, the antichrist figure, the final one world, one world leader. He says, do you not remember I told you this when I was with you? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. Then he says in verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It was at work in Paul's day, it's at work in our day. And then he says a very cryptic phrase, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now, <laughs> commentators and theologians and scholars, biblical scholars argue about who is this restrainer. And I talked about it on our talk um, of the book of Revelation, where the uh, pre-tribulation, pre-millennial uh, rapture people believe it's the Holy Spirit in the church. Um, I believe it is the hand of God. God is restraining this man of lawlessness until uh, God removes his hand of restraint and all hell breaks loose on the earth in the great tribulation. And then it describes it here in verse eight, and the lawless one, lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So praise God, Jesus wins. But verse nine says, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So they're getting what they deserve. They're getting handed over to the wrath of God. They're going to experience what they wanted. You want lawlessness? Here it is. You want no authority? Here's what it looks like. You want to undermine scripture? You want to undermine church? You want to undermine fathers? You want to undermine families? Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a confused, homogenous, monolithic, wicked, iniqu iniquitous generation that rejects and vilifies and hates every authority and then ultimately attacks those authorities in bloodthirsty ways. By the way, God is holding all of this back right now. You have to understand his hand is at work restraining evil. And once that hand is removed, then you have the great tribulation. You have a trouble that comes upon this world that Jesus says such as has never been experienced before. It will be so bad that if you think suicide is high right now, it will be off the charts then. Consider the words of Revelation 9, 6. In those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Jesus said this on the way to the cross. Behold, the days are coming, Luke 23, verse 29, when they will say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Notice what Jesus says about the last days. They will be happy to be childless. Blessed are the barren wombs and the breasts that never gave nursing. They will be nihilists. They will be suicidal, wishing for death. 
and they will seek their own destruction. Listen, at the hands of the creation, hills and mountains fall on us. Exactly what we see in the secular, God-hating, unborn, life-killing, marriage-destroying, climate-change, fear-mongering leaders of our day. And it's going to get worse. And apart from a global, worldwide, astoundingly powerful spiritual awakening, we're doomed. <laughs> I mean, I told you, if you needed an uplift today, if you needed an uplift today, you might want to have skipped this episode. But I got to tell you the truth. Like this, this is what Jesus warned us about. The reason why he warned us about it is so that we would take courage through the hard times. We, we, we would mourn for our brothers and sisters as they lose children as a result of these ideologies. As families are divided, that we would have a place of safety for parents and children to come together under the gospel of Jesus Christ and learn about Jesus and the truth that sets men free from this insanity. We need this now more than ever before. You need to belong to a church now more than ever before. You need to belong to a gospel preaching church now more than ever before. And, and you need to do your due diligence and find one that actually still preaches the gospel because it's becoming ridiculous finding these places of worship. They hardly exist anymore. And that brings me to a deep end follow-up on Andy Stanley. Let's do it. The, the, the deep, deep, deep end follow-up. Yeah, so Andy Stanley has done all but come out and publicly endorse same-sex unions as good and morally acceptable for the Christian faith. I've done a, not, a lot of talk about this. I need to talk about him a little bit more because a, a video is surfacing where Andy is showing why he's a Christian. And the reason why he's a Christian is how you get to removing standards of scripture and apologizing for scripture and apologizing for Christianity to pagans constantly because you're ashamed of what you believe and ashamed of your faith. And the reason why you get there, Andy, and you start to affirm homosexuality in your church and you start to empower uh, female pastors on staff at your church to host uh, LGBT affirming leaders at a conference in your church, which is exactly what's happening at North Point Church in, in Georgia uh, under Andy Stanley's leadership. The reason that the, the way that you get there is you decide that Christianity is simply a pragmatic works for me approach to life. Listen to that again. Christianity is simply a pragmatic works for me approach to life. So this clip surfaced online and it's showing why Andy's talking about why he's a Christian and why he's a Christian. I want to make sure you hear this has nothing to do with orthodox biblical Christianity. And it has everything to do with pop psychology, secu secular philosophy, and American pragmatism. Watch. The bottom line is simply this. I mean, my little, you know, jog through my church past. There's so many more stories. It's, it's really this. And, and I didn't have this language back then. I don't want to pretend. But the church made me a better person. I, I, following Jesus, as I say, you know, it made me better. At, made me better, and it made me better at life. It made me a better person. So about five years ago, um, I, we were doing some some wordsmithing of some things around here, and it just dawned on me I should have like an eleva elevator pitch for my faith. I mean, nobody walks up to me and says, "Andy, why are you a Christian?" I mean, I wish they would, because man, I can razzle dazzle you with you know stuff about the resurrection all day long until you either just give up and become a Christian or walk off. Okay, but I needed like the elevator pitch, like. What's the, you know, what's the short message? Why, why am I a Jesus follower? And that's when I came up with this language because honestly, it's not because you know, of some theological insight. It's not because one day I'm reading the, through the whole Bible and boom, the reason I'm a Jesus follower. Okay, so right there, uh, he undermines theology. He, he undermines the Bible and its authority. And he takes an approach to why he's a Christian that's completely pragmatic watch is honestly because following Jesus has made my life better and it's made me better at life. So, of course, I love the church. Following Jesus has made my life better and made me better at life. Hmm. Uh, Andy needs to talk to some Christians in his church who are married to non-Christians. And the moment that they became Christians... A huge wedge was driven between them and their spouse and how the marriage that they used to share in happy paganism is now divided by Jesus Christ. And he needs to talk to mothers who are losing their sons and daughters to the educational indoctrination system of our country. 
And because they're holding on to their Christian faith, their children no longer want anything to do with them socially. Andy Stanley needs to talk to the Christians in Nigeria and Pakistan and in Saudi Arabia and in Egypt, where they can't even obtain a business license. They can't even obtain, in many cases, a driver's license. They have almost zero rights because they are Christians. Christianity does not make your life better. No, 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 no. Sometimes Christianity makes your life far worse. Paul unpacks this in 2 Corinthians 11 when he talks about being beaten five times with the 40 lashes minus one at the hand of the Jews. How he was beaten three times with rods. How he was stoned with rocks. How he was shipwrecked. How he was adrift on the sea for a night and a day. How he was in danger from rivers. In danger from robbers. In danger from his own people. In danger from Gentiles. In danger from the city. In danger from the wilderness. In danger at sea. In danger from false brothers. In toil and in hardship. Through sleepless nights, hunger and thirst. Being without food, cold, and exposed to the elements. That did not make life better for Paul. This is a pragmatic view of Christianity that fails on the merits of the faith. Because you don't need faith if your life gets better. You need faith when life gets worse. I wonder how many people can watch Andy Stanley preach like that and have no problem with it. And this is a sad testament to the lack of theological instruction in our churches because they will fall for it. Tens of thousands of people observe his teaching without discernment. And this is how you get to affirming LGBTQIA because we're here to make your life better. And if it means that you're going to be happy in a homosexual union or you're going to change your gender and gender and uh, live according to your truth, your lived experience, well, who's Christianity getting away? We're here to make your life better. And when Christianity is all about making your life better, it fails to make society different. You won't have a better life following Jesus. They will hate you. People will ridicule you. They crucified Jesus, right? They, they crucified him. He did exactly what God wanted him to do. His life did not get better. He ended up on a cross. And he said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. What, what Christianity does do is that it gives meaning to all the not better that is happening now. And what else Christianity does do is it gives hope in the midst of all the not better that is happening right now. Meaning in that God can take the not better and use it for your ultimate good. And hope in the fact that God will take the not better and come and rule and subdue over this world and inaugurate the heavenly kingdom on this earth. And we will reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity in perfect harmony and a perfect union with God. That absolutely is true. But you don't get there until you deny yourself and see that you follow Christ not to make your life better, but you follow Christ because he's perfect and you are not. He was sinless and is sinless and you are not. And he died for you. That you, under the immense weight of the convictions of your sins and life, saw that you were empty and void of anything valuable. And saw in Christ Jesus the answer to your sin problem. The answer to your you problem. And you repented of who you wanted to be and your truth and your lived experience. And you surrendered all of that to the one who made you and who wants to define you according to his word and his idea and not your own. That, my friends, is why you follow Jesus. Please understand that. Because if you measure Christianity by whether or not it makes your life better, you will not be a Christian for very long. The moment it costs you anything, you will give up. Because you never really converted. You never really saw that the biggest problem in your life was not the people in it or the problems around it, but the heart that was inside of you. The heart that was stained with sin and needs redemption and salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. You come to Jesus, not to improve your life, but to surrender it. And I want to end this episode on really good news in the life of somebody who's done just that from the most unlikely of places, we need to talk about a person called Black China, believe it or not, on Really Good News. Really, really, really good. That's really good news. It's good. So on the other end of the gospel spectrum, uh, former OnlyFans model Black China has been born again and shed her image and lifestyle to follow Christ. Uh, Black China, I guess that was her mod or her OnlyFans name, 
OnlyFans is a highly sexualized platform where girls get prosthetic surgeries and make themselves look like Barbie dolls, living Barbie dolls, and then sexualize themselves for people to pay the money online to do so. It is basically online prostitution and it devalues women and destroys the intimacy of sex between a husband and a wife by making it a monetary exchange that is done virtually instead of intimately in the bonds of holy matrimony. And this person, Black China, who is going back to her birth name, Angela White, ironically, from Black China to Angela White again, uh, she has left the OnlyFans platform. Do you know why? Because she's born again. Because when you get born again, you change. When you get born again, you shed your old life. And so she has eliminated her platform. She was making a million dollars a year doing this. I did not know you could make <laughs> that much money doing this. No wonder why so many girls are caught up in it. Um, she also talks about the power of the Holy Spirit coming over her. She realized that her life was empty and she needed purpose and she didn't know why she was living and she needed hope. And so she was baptized, uh, I think last year at some point, and now is around going on the news circuit talking about how Jesus has taken ownership of her identity. Notice there's a life change. And notice that the true gospel, when truly preached, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can convict the sinner to shed a million dollar salary, which would make your life better. But remove all that. Get rid of your cosmic surgery, which is what she did. Get rid of all the you know fake things that were part of her, your, her shtick on OnlyFans and live as she was meant to live and follow Christ. Did it make her life better? Well, it gave her hope and it gave her meaning and it might make it worse in some places, but we pray that she continues and faithfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and we celebrate her new life in him. The gospel still changes lives. So there you go. We ended the episode on a positive note when it was a thoroughly dour episode, and I, I admit this one was hard to present, and I hope you appreciate it. I hope it helps you. If you got kids in public schools because they have to be there, my prayers are for you. You've got to be intentional as a parent. You got to monitor social media. You got to monitor what they watch at home. You got to ask them what they're learning at school. And you got to have discussions about the Bible. And you got to get them into church where the church can support you as a family and maybe watch this content together as a family so that you can be stronger in your faith. Check out timhatchlive.com for our swag. It's all available there. Support the channel if you would. Cash app Tim Hatch Live or timhatchlive.com slash support. And as always, if you would, oh, the video is off. Hey, video. Weep. Hello. There we go. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell so that you can get notified every time we go live here on the Tim Hatch Live channel. And tomorrow night, yes, we are back with a deep dive Bible study. I hope to finish off First Kings. I don't know if we will, but we'll try. Okay. And then, by the way, next week is 10 questions with Tim, which means no deep end or no deep dive. Well, actually, there might be a deep end next week. It is Holy Week, though. So it's Holy Week, and I have a hard time doing um, the deep end on Holy Week. I don't want you depressed about what's happening in culture. I want you to be reminded of the hope of the resurrection. So we'll do 10 questions for sure next week. That is the first Thursday of the month. Send your questions into ask at timhatchlive.com. We may do the deep dive next week. Maybe it's all up in the air. The, the, the point is click that like button and click that notification bell so that your smartphone can let you know what we're going to do next week because we sometimes we never know what we're going to do every week. Anyway, thanks for being here, guys. God bless you. Let me know where you're watching from in the chat, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Tim Hatch Live. YouTube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. Take care.